This afternoon we confess together the Belgic Confession, Article 2, about the knowledge of God. Let's confess this together. Moreover, we know God by two means. First, by the creation, preservation, and government of this whole world. For it's before our eyes as a most beautiful book in which all creatures, from the least to the greatest, are as certain letters and marks through which the invisible things of God can be explained and understood. Certainly his eternal power and his divinity, as the Apostle Paul says in Romans 1.20, this knowledge is sufficient for convicting any given people and rendering them inexcusable, but he also bears his very self to us, much more clearly and openly, in his holy and divine word. Indeed, as much as is expedient in this life for his glory and for the salvation of his people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to focus our attention now on your word. Help us to hear the gospel and the law. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. The scripture lesson comes from Psalm 19, all verses. Once again, we hear God's word from Psalm 19, all verses. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words, whose voice is not heard. Their measuring line goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom, leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, Rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, in keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The word of God so far. Congregation of Christ and Friends. The Belgic Confession here summarizes the scriptures that there are only two ways in which to know God. The first way is in the creation, and the second way is through the scriptures. To know God in the creation, though, is to only know God in a general way. People can know something about God in the creation, 
but only enough to leave them without an excuse for denying his existence. Therefore, revelation through the scriptures called special revelation is necessary in order to know God in a saving way. Therefore, in the sermon, simply you will understand the two ways in which you know God. General revelation and the creation and special revelation through the scriptures. Belgic Confession Article 2 says that the first way you know God is, quote, by the creation, preservation, and government of this whole world. For it is before our eyes is the most beautiful book in which all creatures, from the least to the greatest, are as certain letters and marks through which the invisible things of God can be examined and understood. Certainly his eternal power and his divinity, as the Apostle Paul says in Romans 1.20. This knowledge is sufficient for convicting any given person and rendering him or her inexcusable. End quote. When God created all things, he built order into all things. Merely from observing the particulars of creation, you can see the fingerprints of God, as it were. The psalmist says in Psalm 8, when he looks at the heavens, the work of God's fingers, the moon and the stars which he has set in place, he asks, what is man that God is mindful of him and the son of man that he cares for him? In other words, simply noting the majesty, the power and complexity of the creation leads to the necessary conclusion that there is a God who has created it. Psalm 19 advances this thought and states that God actually reveals knowledge through the creation. The heavens are telling of the glory of God and their expanse is declaring the work of His hands. The creation itself tells you that there is a God. God's glory is clear from the creation. But because of your sin, you obscure this glory. Therefore, the nature of general revelation in your sinfulness makes God's knowledge in the creation very limited. There's only so much you can know about God and the creation. Historically, the Catholic Church has said, well, no, you can build a complete theology of God from the creation itself. Another extreme, Karl Barth is on this extreme, says, no, you can really know nothing at all about God and the creation. And when Christ came into the world, it's like throwing a rock into a pond without any ripples. Uh, so you can't know God in the creation, uh, argues Karl Barth. So those are two extremes. We say, no, there is something we can know about God in the creation, but not a whole lot. So literally, verses 3 and 4 of Psalm 19 say, say this, There is no speech, and there are no words. Their voice is not heard. There is no speech... There are no words, their voice is not heard. Their voice or sound goes throughout all the earth and their speech to the ends of the world. In other words, there is speech and knowledge, yet there is no speech and knowledge. This is a poetic way of saying that the knowledge and glory of God is proclaimed and revealed to people, but in a way that's impossible to understand fully. So it's something like hearing a beautiful symphony and taking note of its beauty. But because you don't know a lot about music, you can't really understand the complexity and the design of the music. So you can know something about the music. You can have some appreciation of the symphony. You can really understand it unless you've been trained in music, or at least music appreciation. 
In the same way, all people who know nothing about Yahweh, the God of Israel, can appreciate His creation for its beauty. But people can know nothing about the nature of salvation in Christ alone without the Scriptures. So this romantic ideal of, you know, the forest is my sanctuary, and I worship God wandering around in the creation is just false. Uh, You can give glory to God in a general sense, but you cannot know God in a saving way walking around the forest. Paul says this in Romans 1, verses 18 and following, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. The creation is not only insufficient to tell you enough about God, but also you take any revelation that God has given you in the creation and you obscure it through your sin. The only corrective to the situation is hearing God's law, as Psalm 19 goes on to say, that is, His word. As a son gives life to the creation, so so does God's word give life to people. Now, the, the Belgic also mentions that you can have knowledge of God through the preservation and government of the universe. Preservation refers to the care of God for the creation. That is the world and all the animals and people in the creation. So kids, when we talk about preservation, we're talking about all the things that you find so wonderful in this world. Friends, your animals, pets, all in this world is preserved by God. And this follows from our comment that God has built order into the universe when he created all things. So there are biological, chemical, physical means which help to maintain the creation and animals and people within it, but these things cannot operate on their own. God must actively move to order everything. And that's what we call providence. Naturalists today say, no, I mean, everything is self-created, it's uh, self-sustaining, There's no God that needs to take care of the creation. It's false. Hebrews 1 says this, In these last days He has spoken to us, that is, um, God, by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. So we call the doctrine of providence. God takes care of all things. He sustains all things. The inherent inherent order of the creation speaks of God. This order leads you to consider that there is a God of power and order who takes care of all things necessarily. Governance refers to the rule of God that works to certain ends. That is, especially among mankind, there are proper ends built into the creation. For instance, People create governments to rule nations. All people realize there has to be some sort of rule. Even in the most primitive nation, there is some sort of rule. 
political philosophers talk about a just society and how to have it. All people naturally understand that there has to be some inherent end or ends to the society, to people, and so on. Well, um, Paul says this in Acts chapter 17 when he preaches to the Athenians. He says that God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made by hands, neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all life and breath and all things. And he made from one every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation, that they should seek God, if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and exist, as even some of your own poets have said, for we also are his offspring. Being an offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and thought of man. This is very interesting because Paul is talking to the Athenians. Uh, specifically, he's talking to these uh, people who consider themselves philosophers. They're sort of armchair philosophers, not really professional philosophers. Um, and many people are like this today that think um, and have made certain conclusions about this world, but they think it has nothing to do with God. Well, the Athenians were like this, uh, although they had gods, they had tons of different gods. They even had an altar set up to the unknown god just to give credence to some God they might have forgotten about. But other than that, they really think that they're in charge of things. But Paul uses their own poets, their literature, their own philosophical ideas to say, look, you guys have this inherent idea that there's order, even this sort of supposed worship you have, that there are subordinate ends and ultimate ends to all things. And Paul is saying, God has appointed these times and boundaries. Even your own prophets tell you that there's some order, there's some structure, there's some purpose to the universe. It's not random. So in summary, the creation, preservation, and governance of the world reveals that there is a God. Added to this idea is the fact that the creation is a beautiful book. It's an interesting way to put it, isn't it? Creation itself is a beautiful book. There is incomprehensible beauty built into the creation. There are certain mountain vistas and starlit skies that take your breath away, just naturally. These real physical illustrations are not the random processes of naturalism. They are God's artwork. All people without exception know in their consciences that God created these things and if that's so, there is a God of power, order, and artistic excellence. Only a fool says in his heart, there is no God. Many foolish people who suppress the truth through their unrighteousness, who come up with their own fancy ideas about the way in which the world operates and who created it, they're suppressing what is plain to mankind. Therefore, the creation reveals God, but only in a general way. One of the striking revelations of the creation is that God is judge. Because he is necessarily known in the creation, there is no excuse for denying his existence. Yet as Paul says in Romans chapter 1, people suppress the truth through their unrighteousness. Paul goes on to say in Romans 2, 
that the law of God is also written on the hearts of all people so that they know right from wrong. In other words, God has given people a conscience. And as they suppress what they know to be correct moral behavior, they also face God's wrath. The way we say this in a popular way is that there's no excuse uh, for ignorance of the law. Um, it's just that you know, if you're a citizen in, in our country and you say, well, I didn't know we were supposed to stop at stop signs, that's no excuse. Because you, you have to know, being a citizen in this country and having a driver's license, that stop means stop. You have to stop your car. Or you didn't know about the speed limit or whatever. Well, Paul is saying that God has given all people a moral conscience. They know the basic law, that to kill somebody is wrong. To steal their property is wrong. But people suppress this truth all the time. But our argument is, all these things speak to the fact that there is a God. And that He demands something from people, yet we don't want His demands. And so, we sin. So the only right way to, he- to understand God fully is through the Word of God, and certainly that's the way in which you are saved from your sins. And one person says this very interesting thing. He says, in all religions, we meet the idea that the gods reveal their thoughts and will in some way. The usual representation is that they do this by means of natural phenomena, such as the constellation of the stars, the birds, the intestines of sacrificial animals, and so on. But alongside of this, there is another according to which they do it through the mediation of men and the capacity of soothsayers, visionaries, interpreters of dreams, diviners, consulters with familiar spirits, and others claiming special powers. Now, that sounds bizarre, but it is also familiar. Modern people, modern people, find themselves searching for signs too, whether it's through the nature or through a psychic. We confess, however, that only the Holy Scriptures reveal God to us sufficiently for salvation. God spoke from the beginning of time and His creation and particularly to his people, and ultimately through Christ and his incarnation and work. That's how you know God. So the first part of Psalm 19 speaks of God's silent speech, the creation. There's speech, yet there is no speech. The second part of Psalm 19 speaks of the law of God. It doesn't mean here uh, the Mosaic law that we talked about this morning, but he means uh, the law in general, that is the Old Testament. In terms of the Old Testament, God spoke in various ways. He spoke in an audible voice to Adam and Eve in the garden. God also was pleased to employ devices used in ancient times, such as the Urim and the Thummimim. God appears visibly in a theophany to Moses, according to Exodus chapter 3, the burning bush. God spoke to his people in dreams and visions. But mostly, we see God speaking to his prophets, who then spoke to the people of God. Then finally, the actions and words of God were written down. And this is the argument in Hebrews chapter 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. As pertains to the knowledge of God, the law to which Psalm 19 speaks the scripture, is perfect as that which is greatly to be desired. It speaks of the knowledge of God 
and his actions in history, taking into account all the different modes of revelation. But specifically, the scriptures speak to the action of God bringing his own dear son into history. So Psalm 19 speaks of that. And notice that it says that this law, the word of God, is to be desired more than silver and gold. You think that's, that's really interesting because all of us are so compelled by riches and the things of this world and it seems like words, like God's word, would not compare to these things. But the author says, these words of God are greater than silver and gold. That's a really stunning statement. But also it's, it has to be captured in the larger context of the canon of scripture that is speaking of Christ. The Bible's not just a, a bunch of rules. That's how we read this, right? Oh, I see rules and laws and stuff i got to do. It does have laws, to be sure, but the whole thing speaks of Christ and Him crucified. That's what's precious to you. So as Christ says in John chapter 5 and Luke 24, all the scriptures are about Him. John 5.39 Jesus says to the Pharisees, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Luke 24, verses 27 and 44. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Therefore, how do we know God through the Scripture? By hearing the Scriptures proclaiming that Christ, who is a revelation of God, is real. Specifically, this happens through a process, hearing the law and the gospel. So it's very important in biblical interpretation, it's just not picking passages apart to find out who God is. Because you can read the Bible, which is a revelation about God, but you can read it wrongly. You can read it out of context. I mean, there are people who know their Bibles really, really well. They read them every day. But they're also interpreting what God uh, is by reading their Bibles wrongly. The paradigm is law and gospel. That's how we know God, because these things speak of Christ. So the law of God convicts us of sin. Romans 3.20 For by the works of the law no human being will be justified in the sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. If you think about somebody who decides, hey, I want to know God, I'm going to pick up a Bible. That's good. But being the sinner that they are, that we all are, who's going to want to read these passages and say, oh, that really applies to me, that I'm the sinner? No, they're going to read it and say, oh, that's the guy in prison. Or really bad people, it's not me. No, you need to hear the law of God proclaimed that you're all sinners. So that's Heidelberg Catechism Question and Answer 3. Uh, after this point in the Heidelberg, it speaks of Christ as the very embodiment of grace in uh, Question and Answer 19. It asks, how do you know this? 
Answer, from the Holy Gospel, which God himself first revealed in paradise, afterwards proclaimed by the holy patriarchs and prophets, and foreshadowed by the sacrifices and other ceremonies of the law, and finally by his well-beloved Son. Heidelberg Catechism, uh, question and answer 65, says that faith is created by the Holy Spirit through the preaching of the word and through the administration of the sacraments. How do you have faith? Hearing the word of God preached. Canons of Dort, heads 3 and 4, article 6. What therefore neither the light of nature nor the law could do, that God performs by the operation of the Holy Spirit through the word of the ministry of reconciliation, which is a gospel concerning the Messiah, by means whereof it has pleased God to save such as believe, as well under the Old Testament as the New. So Article 2 of the Belgic uh, finishes by stating that the word is necessary for us in this life to his glory and our salvation. We confess that the scriptures alone are sufficient to teach us how to glorify God and understand salvation. Therefore, we confess the scriptures alone to be sufficient. We don't add our historical confessions to the scriptures, but we only see them as summarizing this very important thing. In conclusion, you can know God insofar as he has revealed himself in the creation and in the scriptures. Those are the two ways in which we know God. The creation, general revelation, and the scriptures, special revelation. But only the scriptures are sufficient to reveal the knowledge of salvation in Christ alone. So you have a theology of creation which allows you to search and discover many interesting aspects in this creation and you're to do so with great vigor. But you must be content with the scriptures as that which reveals the wonders of salvation through Christ alone. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, Amen.